Welcome to the Deep Hire Podcast, where each episode we explore the worlds of recruiting and staffing, technology, business, and the roles we have within them. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining me on another Deep Hire Podcast. Today, I am joined by Julie Gottschall-Brown, the president of Gottschall Recruiting. This is a great podcast, and Julie is very well-spoken and articulate, and it was a pleasure to talk with. So I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And as always, thank you for tuning in. And I said it a few times on the podcast, but I'm just sending my hearts out and sending strength out to everybody within the recruiting and staffing industry and and globally as well to face any challenges that are coming up in the immediate present as well as the future. We here at Deep Hire want to wish strength upon everybody impacted. Just want you to know that we're here too, and we're here to support everybody, everybody in our circles as well. So thanks again and enjoy the episode. Julie. Godshall Brown with Godshall Professional Recruiting in Greenville, South Carolina. Well, it is a pleasure to talk with you this morning. It's so nice to have an outlet for socializing through these crazy times right now. And podcasts are a really good way to have conversations with people because they are they are remote. We are not right next to each other. And so so we get best of both worlds, socializing and no sickness. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Julie, could you tell us tell us your story? Tell us tell us about you. How did you get to where you are today? Sure, I was one of those strange children that, even as a um, probably middle schooler or, or before, said, "I want to do what my parents do." And um, and I was always around the business. So our business is fifty two years old, and um, I was always just interested in the business. I liked the people aspect. I liked what we did. I liked the idea that we actually made money by helping people. It was sort of the best of both worlds in that respect. And honestly, I, I begged to come answer the phones when they would work evenings to meet candidates after hours. Um, and um, I can literally remember the day I got my braces off at 12, sitting at the front desk, um, answering the phone. So I just have always been around it. Um, but I, I went to um, Clemson University, and then I got my master's in human resources and worked a few years in industry. And really with the plan always that I wanted to work out of you know the industry a little while and then come into it and join the family business. So I did. Wow, that is, that's very cool. 52 years is a long time. And the second surprising thing is the fact that you were interested in recruiting and staffing. I mean, I, I see now that there's a bunch of amazing, amazingly interesting and cool things about it, but I would have to agree that it is, it is a, um, not, it's not something that I would expect a young person to feel gravitated towards. So could you point exactly to what it was that you felt? I mean, I know you said like helping people, and getting paid for that. What other things were you were you like? This is this is what I want to do. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a joke. Dad had a Coke machine, and we used to think he made money in the Coke machine because on the weekends we'd come up and take the money out of the Coke machine. Of course, he would use that to go right then to buy Cokes to put back in the machine. Yeah. But um, but I really um, I think that um, you know, it was the putting the deal together. Um, I saw the excitement that both my father and my mother worked in the business as well, um, had the relationships they built. Um, my mother was uh, really ran the what we called at that time the temporary staffing service back in the early 80s. And I can specifically remember um, her coming home, fixing dinner, and then get back on the phone and um, she, she could remember anybody's phone number. And so she would call people that go to work the next day and she'd know their number by heart. 
And I think cell phones have ruined that for us. So we, you know, we don't have to remember numbers anymore. But, um, you know, I think she built relationships with people and he did too that just, um, it appeared to be a very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, thing and it was just in our, my, our DNA. I knew my parents found people jobs, and um, I wanted to do that. And so, as strange as it sounds, I think part of it was just the gratitude and rewarding side that they got from it. Definitely, that's such a cool situation that you've. It's such a cool story, really. Um, what advice would you have given yourself when you were just starting out, when you sort of stepped into the role? Um, that your parents had previously occupied, or I don't know if you were in it at the same time, but when you were young within this industry, if you could look back now and go back and give yourself some advice, what would you say? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, gosh, you know, I think, I think it helped coming and I did come into the business. My father was still here. My f- mother had retired, but I think it helped having come from industry because I came with something uh, other than just a name or family, you know, blood in my, um, in my veins. Um, <laughs> and because I, immediately I was working with people who had known me since I was a child, which is a little intimidating and yet comforting at the same time. Um, interestingly, I came in at a time that we were implementing our first kind of big software system where we had front and back office. And, um, and that was my big project coming in the door. Um, you know, I, gosh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think being a better listener rather than trying to demonstrate myself so quickly, maybe would have been, uh, something I would have told my younger self is just listen and, uh, don't try so hard because I think that sometimes, the second, third generation, they come in and we, we tend to want to prove that we're not that typical, um, boss's daughter, you know? Kind yeah, of. totally. And so probably I should have kept my mouth shut and listened more. And, um, but I, I have to tell you, I, there were some really good people here at the time and a few of them are still with us that really took me under their wings and taught me the business. So it wasn't just mom and dad. And certainly a lot of it was, but um, we had some excellent employees who wanted me to be successful because they saw that that was the continuity of our business. Yeah. It's such, such a cool situation. And I've never talked to any, I've talked to a few people, I suppose, who have had family businesses, but it's an interesting dynamic. And I'm curious, how have you dealt with, and this might be this might be a big question. I'm not sure. I've never asked it before. <laughs> but how have you dealt with like separating yourself, you know, from your parents and from your childhood and developing yourself into an adult individual? You know, like how, as your identity, as an adult woman who's forging her own path. Like, has that been like an area of concern for you throughout your life? Has it been something that you've had to work on throughout your younger years when you were separating from your parents or was that never, it's just something that's in my head. And and I don't know if you can speak to that at all. No, I I think what you're asking is probably a common theme among um, sort of that next generation when they take over. Um, And our industry as a whole, by the way, has an awful lot of family businesses in it. I mean, you probably realize that. Um, It's a good question. I I will say a couple of things that I see that that first generation of my parents did well, and then some things I just sort of had to realize myself. But um, 
I worked with my father for about nine years before he retired. And he had been a part of a family business, not staffing, but he had been a part of a family business and he'd become somewhat of a student of family businesses. And he had a real mantra that the next generation can't do their thing, maybe isn't his word, but mm-hmm. they can't move forward unless that other generation gets out of the way. Mm-hmm. And as um, nerve wracking as it sort of was for me to realize that he was going to leave me <laughs> um, after that first nine years, um, he decided to retire. And within three months I had, we had transitioned the, the to the purchase of the process for the business he was physically out of the office and didn't want to, he didn't even want a cubicle. He didn't want an office. Yeah. And then I had bought the building that we are in. And so he was adamant and, and most people are not, I see this an awful lot. That's you think about the amazing businesses out there like Chick-fil-A where the founder stayed involved until the kids were in their sixties, you know? Wow. And so this is 25 years ago now, 24 years ago. But, um, but he was just adamant uh, that once he retired, uh, that he was he was out of there and he would help me, but that he didn't want the employees or customers or me to sort of see him as holding me back. Yeah. And that was really important to him. And it was really scary for me at that time. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I, I can really see that as being a scary thing. But it is um, another. It's a. It's a common theme within stories, like really popular stories. Like in in Harry Potter, there's the the story of the phoenix, the the thing that gives birth to new ideas. And once old ideas die, the phoenix is the thing that grows up. And then, as change is necessary, dies and then is reborn as something new. And it it's a it's a thing in life. It's an element in life. It seems, and it's commonly discussed. It's like. Yep. When things change, you have to change with them. It's like you have to burn away the dead parts of your businesses or yourself, you know, to be able to adapt to the changing world. And so it's very cool of your, of your, of your dad to, to have realized that and been so adamant about stepping away and saying, okay, here you go. Here you go, daughter. This is yours now. Right. No doubt about it. And, you know, as I'm, getting, you know, up towards, you know, 50-ish years old, and my kids are now in college, and and considering, you know, we're looking at, you know, kind of what happens in this next 10 or 15 years, I realized the courage it probably took for him to to do that. It probably wasn't the easy thing, but I think he saw it as the necessary thing. And um, as again, I've just always had a love for what we do, and so I think he knew that I was very committed to it. Um, my husband also works with me now and my parents worked as a couple and my husband and I have different talents, but we work together and, um, it's been, a, uh, you know, it's always a, there's challenging parts of that, but it's been, a, 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 a I think a good thing for our kids to see that partnership as I saw it in my own family. Definitely. Definitely. That's actually one of the things that I admire my parents about is their ability to work through problems together. It's like, uh, marriage seems hard and raising kids seems hard as well. So you better have a good partner who you can, who you can, you know, solve problems with because there seem to be a lot of them. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And it really forces that when you spend, um, you know, as, as he would say, my boss is at home and at work. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so let's bring it to the present moment a bit. How how are you dealing with the coronavirus and 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 the way that that's been affecting you? It's a really, really good question, and I think we're going to learn a lot from this. But so far, um, we have have taken the um, we have really tried to take the lead of, on communication, um, not only with our internal staff, our candidates, our applicants, and our clients, but I think during times like this, um, you know, as during other hard times, whether it be a snowstorm that's a temporary situation or something like this that's maybe a little bit more life changing. Um, um, that you can't communicate enough. So we want our clients to know that we're, we're here for them, that we are set up with the technology. Thank goodness this is happening in 2000 and, um, you know, in 20 and not 1999. We, we would not have been around, you know, set up to do video interviewing and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think over communicating right now is probably um, is probably my, my number one message with our team. Um, we are doing some shift shift um, isolation is maybe the best word for it. Where I've got half of our team working one shift and half working another, kind of a three days on, two days off, and then swapping. Starting this week uh, to you know, allow a little more distance between people, but also in the event that anyone was sick, we wouldn't be in a position of quarantining, um, you know, our entire staff that is, um, you know, is focused on, um, you know, on the, on the customer, because it's very important to me that, that we, uh, that we are focused on the customer and that they know that we're here for them. Definitely, yeah, and I'm I'm sure everybody's going through really similar similar problems and challenges at the moment, especially when you have a, a base of employees that you're responsible for. I mean, everybody has all all leadership throughout throughout the world has had that problem. You know, we have these people that we're responsible for, and we're trying to keep them healthy. And at the same time, you know, we have structures that we're trying to uphold, so like the economy and and the education system. It's like these people are looking at these structures that keep us grounded as a global society. And, and, and they're trying to balance like health and safety, but also like normalcy. And it is, it seems like a challenge. So, so I, um, I'm grateful for, for leadership that is, that is, that is facing these difficult problems and, and trying to tackle them. Cause it's, I, I don't envy that. Um, no, it's a tough spot. And, you know, trying to do it with compassion. Um, you know, we, we've talked about here that, that, you know, our number one is safety and, and well-being of our um, our team, including, and that includes our partners, our clients, our temp, temporary employees, our applicants. And then, you know, right up there with uh, with that is, is keeping our business going. So, um, you know, we've got to do business. We may have to do it in different ways. But um, we fortunately have a lot of our clients who are allowing our employees to work from home or work remotely, um, and they still need their help to keep things going. And we're seeing an uptick in certain areas that, you know, is probably very specifically related to this kind of crisis that we're in. So, um, you know, we're hoping that that balance keeps everyone, keeps things moving for everyone. Yeah, I, I, I can echo that sentiment. Um and and yeah, I think it, I think 
think what we're trying to say here is that it is a challenge and I wish you the best of luck as well as everybody listening. Um, I wish you health and luck throughout these coming months. We don't know how long it'll be, obviously, but uh, yeah, best of luck. And uh, moving away from the present moment, um, wanted to jump back and take a little bit of a broader look at at you and your company and the industry that you're working within. And I wanted I wanted to hear your thoughts about when you look at your company right now and and the problems that you're trying to solve or the things that you're trying to do right now within the recruiting and staffing industry what are like those those main those main things that jump out to you that like this is what we're doing like, what are the, what are those things right right and you know other than just the the situation that we're in as of today but i think just in general um you know Industry, not only in our area, but, you know, across the country is ever changing. We've seen a tremendous shift, um, you know, in our area for, that has traditionally been heavy manufacturing, for example, to really a knowledge-based economy. And even our manufacturing facilities in the, in the Southeast, a lot of them are, are very advanced. They're, they're still utilizing, um, you know, labor, but, but it's at a very different level than it was at one time. So I think one thing that we, we always strive to do is sort of keep, number one, keep up with the trends, know our customers, try to not only know where they are now, but where their business is going so that we're poised and, and sort of ready to help them as they meet that next challenge for, you know, for their hiring, uh, whether it be supplemental or a lot of what we do is direct hire, professional hiring. And so we, we're trying to always stay abreast of not only where their business is now, but where it's going. And things seem to be moving at a more uh, rapid pace. I think that change is happening more, more rapidly than ever. How do, how do you keep in touch with that? I mean, you're, you're right. Change is happening very quickly. So how do you, how do you keep up? <laughs> um, you know, it, our, our team, we really encourage a lot of involvement in the industries that we serve. So whether that means serving on boards for industry associations, we serve uh, the technical schools and universities in advisory capacity. Um, I serve on a state-level board for Commission of Higher Education. So we, we put a lot of our, our time and our volunteer hours uh, you know, into uh, really embedding ourselves with that community that we serve. So um, we, we want to be more than just the people you think of to fill the job, but really a part of those industries. And certainly that benefits us um, from a networking uh, standpoint. And obviously we in our industry, we are our network and that's the value we bring. But, um, but also really understanding the industry and where things are going and understanding what their struggles are has, has been a, a tremendous help to us in being able to make those matches, you know, for our clients. Definitely. It seems like you're taking a, you're taking a long-term approach to, to being in a successful recruiting and staffing company. It's like just in completely embedding yourself into the, the group that you're, that you're helping. You know, it's like you're joining committees and you are just really putting yourself in the thick of what's going on. So it's like, it's not like you're just reading a quick article or something. You're having a five minute phone call. It's like you, you are really just diving deep into the thing itself so that you can change with it as, you know, as it changes. 
Right. There's no doubt about it. And we, we benefit greatly, but we believe our clients also benefit from that. Um, you know, I don't want to be thought of as just a vendor to industry, but really as a partner to them. And as cliche as that sounds, I think when you're involved with them at their level, and we tend to hire recruiters that are at a, a peer level with our clients, not a customer service type uh, level, then I think it really does uh, put us in a position to be able to, to best partner with them. Completely, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a great model. It seems like um, a really a long term sustainable way to know how to help the best that you possibly can. We we certainly believe so. Yes. So, looking now into the future, what what if any predictions do you have about how your company will change or how the industry as a whole will change? And you can take this any way that you know. Obviously, you think. Um, I I tend to to think about technology and how that's going to affect the recruiting and staffing industry. But, but, you know, maybe it, maybe it won't affect it, it quite as much as I think, you know, because we are all, we are all humans in this big thing that we've got going on here in the recruiting and staffing industry and the world as a whole. And, and humans change a lot less quickly than technology changes. So <laughs> you, you got it <laughs> right. No doubt about it. No, I think um, you're you're exactly right. I think you know it, it, there, you. I've heard you on other podcasts with guests that that talk about the fact that you know that, that it's another tool, and and I do believe that. I I talked to my father, who's eighty four now, about you know technology, even even things like LinkedIn and um and and you know video interviewing and and the the type of tools that your your company provides, and. Again, they're a tool, but it's still a people business. And, you know, those that worry so much about artificial intelligence taking over, we thought the fax machine was going to take over. You know, some people thought the Internet, oh, that's the end of the staffing industry. But, again, my, my feel is is that there, there are tools that are making our job uh, more robust and making our maybe our reach a whole lot broader than it would have been at one time when we were using the phone book primarily, say, or, or a directory. You know, remember these big Thomas directories and things like that. I, I'm old enough to remember those things, but um, there's no doubt that you can't take the people out of what we do. And I think, frankly, that's our highest calling is to say if if we're not doing more than grabbing a resume off the internet, or we're not doing more than what a, 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 a algorithm can do, then you know how do we maintain the value of our industry? So part of that cause, should cause us to step up to the plate and say, what are we adding? Where are we adding value uh, in using these tools? They're, they're just tools and there's still a people side of it. There's still an intellectual side of our business uh, that, that to me just can't be replaced by technology. Yeah. It's something that is probably a great lesson for everybody, every single person on the planet right now, because these, these tools seem so they seem to me a little bit cold and a little bit foreign and they distance me, I think, from people. I mean, a uh, challenge that I faced with this podcast is the fact that it is remote. It's like how, how learning how to connect with people, you know, even though it's just a phone call. It's like it's like that. that's something that I'm focused on here and and that's something that recruiters focus on when they're doing video video interviews or phone interviews. It's like this tool lets you connect with people Um at the most basic level, like you can hear their voices across, across wide expanses of, you know, where you otherwise couldn't have done that in the past. But 
the same challenge is still there of like being a good listener and, and navigating conversation nimbly, you know, like listening to tone and listening to the words and knowing when to push and pull back. And, and, and that seems to me like a lot of a recruiter's responsibility is being like, okay, what's your present situation? How can I best understand you so I can best help you? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's the client or the candidate. It, that's, that's what, that's what you guys do best. And, and so, so yeah, it's a, it's, um, it's good to, to remember that these tools just help us connect with people in physical ways that we other couldn't otherwise couldn't, but you know, the same, the same human connection that, that that's still there and still super important. Right. No doubt about it. And, and they, and we are so fortunate uh, to have the tools in place that we do today. I mean, I go back to where we are in the world with the coronavirus scare and how, um, you know, we, we might would have been, very, very difficult 20 years ago to continue to do business at the level that we can today remotely and um, for our clients as well as for our industry. So, um, they, but, but they are just tools and, and I'm a firm believer and it sounds a little old fashioned, but people do business with people and um, I'm just a firm believer in that. And um, I don't, I don't believe that we can take the people aspect out of what we do. However, we're just so fortunate to have the, the supplemental help, if you will, from the, 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 the tools that are available to us. Um, but, you know, we can both think of many iterations where someone worried that what will this replace our industry. But, you know, manufacturing, if you've got, um, you know, a lot of technology that's gone into manufacturing and it's changed who they hire, it's changed the skills that they need, but it hasn't changed the need for the people in the process. Definitely, definitely. Um, and now transitioning to to a personal level with you on the, on the last uh, question of the podcast to close. I want to know when you, whenever you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed, what do you, how do you, how do you, how do you become not that way? What do you do to, to, you know, deal with stress or deal with being overwhelmed? (laughs) <laughs> that's a terrible week for that. This is a terrible week for that question, Matt. <laughs> yeah. I know it's partly, um, yeah. You know, we, we try, I mean, my, you know, we, we, we our, our family is very active. We, um, you know, we're big exercisers and we're, you know, we eat healthy. And I think those things do help because you're taking care of your body, um, you know, is, is sort of the mind body connection you can't ignore. But, you know, I also try to, um, put everything that every decision I make through that filter, um, of, of my faith and, and whether it's what, you know, God expects of me, whether I'm influencing others positively. Um, we know that, that we're fortunate enough to work in a for-profit business, but that also really does change lives. And we not only change lives for, uh, the candidates we serve, but the business partners and the, you know, the companies that so depend on us for that talent during such a tough market. And, um, and so I try to, you know, I try to, I guess where I get my perspective is just remembering sort of what I'm called to do in terms of that, um, you know, that service to others and, you know, what God desires me to be. So that's beautiful. And, and it's something that I try and remember too. It's like, how, how can you get that better perspective? It's like, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? You know? 
well, I don't know how you survive tough, tough times that we will, and we'll have more in the future. We've had them in the past, you know, without that faith. But that's, that's, you know, that's my personal, uh, that would be my personal view. But I, I'd love to know how you survive it without sort of understanding that there's something bigger. Well, I think it's really similar for a lot of people. It's like, it's, I don't know, into the, into the specifics of why they believe what they believe, but everybody feels pulled towards something better. Um, I mean, unless you're trying to get something worse to come about, but the majority of us seem to wanting, seem to be wanting to make things better. So, so yeah, which for me, I can completely echo what you've been saying and that whenever I feel, whenever I feel just disconnected sort of from, from what I'm doing, I, I love to, I love to take a step back and try and feel out exactly what it is that's important to me. It's like, what's that highest thing that I'm, that I'm actually aiming at. And, um, that helps me, that helps me as well. Thank you everybody for tuning into another deep higher podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you or anybody else on your team thinks that you might be a good fit as a guest on our podcast, feel free to reach out on deephire.com. Have a great day. We love you. Love Matt and the deep higher team.